Amen, amen. Our lives are one victory after another. Victory over self, victory over sin, victory over the grave. Our story, because of Jesus Christ's life in us, is all about victory. We are people of victory. What a great, great song that is. And uh, thanks, Pastor Steve, for bringing it to us. Let's uh, bow our heads for prayer. Father, we come into your presence today with great anticipation because we know we are meeting with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our Lord of glory, the one who has made us victorious in every way. And so, our Father, it is with enthusiasm and excitement that we gather to praise you and to worship you, to pray to you, to call on your name, to know that you speak to us through your word, and to know that you are moving our hearts and moving our church, uh, mobilizing us to accomplish great things in your name. And so, our Father, we pray this morning that our hearts uh, will be riveted to the word of God and to your heart that you might speak to us that we might uh, open ourselves up to what you have for us, and that we might be people who obey what you ask us to do, I pray, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Um, I wonder, uh, just wanted to mention to you that uh, you can take Trevor Dick home with you in a manner of speaking. Uh, so visit him on the way out this morning. He has some, some uh, CDs and things out there in, the, in his ministry, Flying Bow Ministry, and uh, we so appreciate having him here with us. And, and uh, um, lifting up the name of God and uh, the exciting things that he's got, uh, that God's leading in his life in terms of international music, ministry, and all that, that is before him. Uh, so pray for Trevor and uh, his mission and uh, the mission that God has given to him. Um, let's turn in our Bibles, will we, to Matthew chapter 28 this morning. Matthew chapter 28, I want to look at verses um, 18, 19, and 20. Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. Could you stand with me because this is such an awesome piece of scripture and God is telling us something very important here this morning and we want this to, to sit before you and seep into your life and soak into your life. Uh, it's probably a collection of verses that most of you know by heart, but this is what, how it goes. Then Jesus came to them and as if Jesus came to us and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the Word of God. You may be seated. Earlier this summer, I was uh, driving up one of the main north-south roads of Oshawa, and uh, a marketing idea caught my eye that was uh, a moniker on a, on a building that was trying to make church happen. And um, the appeal, as I noticed, could have easily been uh, for a sports bar or a theater or a new cool retail outlet, but it was for a church. And I thought to myself as I was driving on that we are falling over ourselves trying to build successful churches or cool churches. In fact, my shelves in my study, are, there's no shortage of strategies on, on how to build great, cool, sexy churches. But is that even what we are supposed to be doing? We've been building churches. Consider that in 1970, 
In North America, there were 50 megachurches. Now, to be classified as a megachurch, you have to have an attendance of more than 2,000 people. So that's a minimum number in attendance of 100,000, 50 megachurches. 30 years later, by the year 2000, there are 600 megachurches. In the year 2013, there are 1,600 megachurches. 1,600 churches that have an attendance of more than 2,000 people, which means they have a minimum attendance of 3,200,000 people. So in 40 years, we have gone from 100,000 minimum to 3,200,000 people. Pretty impressive in terms of building great, cool, sexy churches. But let me ask you a question. Has it impacted the culture that we live in? Do you think that over the last 40 years, our culture is better or worse? I know it's a rhetorical question. Building impressive churches does not guarantee the transformation of culture. In fact, if cultural ethics are a reflection of the state of the church, the church is failing miserably. And frankly, I believe that the culture is a reflection of the state of the church. While the Ontario government was pushing horrible sexual ethics into its curriculum, the most powerful religious bloc in public education, the Roman Catholic Church, stood by mute. Why? Because it knows it has no voice. And we're all shocked at the St. Mary's University Frosh Week. Mainline churches are virtually dead and buried. So who's left? The evangelicals are left, but we're on building programs that are mostly accommodating culture. Ministries reduced to weekend gimmicks and pep rallies and teaching that abuses and uses the Word of God in ways that only tickle the ears of itchy ears. And these are the growing ministries. aimed at building the church so we have more bigger churches and, more, and a more immoral culture. Never in history has there been so many mega ministries and I would submit never has there ever been a North America that was as pagan as it is right now. You were hoping I was going to come back after vacation with a happy sermon. <laughs> like, would you send him away? He needs more rest. I did get fired up as I was laying on the beach and attending churches and reading and noticing, frankly, that maybe we haven't been doing what we are supposed to be doing. Maybe we're aiming at the wrong targets. Satan has no problem with our preoccupation with building the church, building grand and exotic ministries, as long as they're not impacting the culture. So out of 
much scriptural study and time and thinking and reading and praying and interacting in the arena of further education along with input from my excellent teammates, I want to take a stab at identifying the real problem, problems, and propose a, a going forward vision for us. Something better, something powerful, something impactful, a real solution to recalibrate our sight lines in the event that we may have shifted. Simply, we've been trying to do Jesus' job and not doing our own. That's what I think is the problem. Saying, what? Well, let me explain to you. Do you remember when Peter came and gathered around the disciples and Jesus asked them a question, Peter, who do people say that I am? Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. It was there in that text that Jesus said what he would do. He said, I will build my church. And the one that I will build, the gates of Hades, will not be able to prevail against. The church that I build, I will build my church. And here's the guarantee. The church that I build, the gates of Hades will not be able to prevail. In other words, that church will push back the gates of a pagan culture. That's what Jesus said he would do. But here's what Jesus said we are to do. We just read it together, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. You go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, not just teaching them, but teaching them to obey what? Everything I have commanded you. That's the business model of the kingdom. And to that commandment, Jesus says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's what we have been doing. Let's recap. I, I really think that the evangelical church is trying to do what Jesus said he would do and not doing what he said we are to do. When we try to build our church, the Lord is not with us. So much of what is around us is man's corporate success. Building Babel, but not what God has built. When we make disciples, the Lord is with us always. I could stop here, and some of you are hoping I will. Because that's the punchline. That's it. I'm really not going to get any more complicated than that today. Jesus will build his church. We are to make disciples. That's the deal. That's the simple plan for church. Now, there are symptoms and effects to trying to do Jesus' job, and I want to share them with you instead of the one he gave us to do. And you see if this isn't so. When things are of man... Instead of, of God, the product mimics the culture around us. And it stems from rain, uh, aiming at the wrong targets. 
And some of these targets are going to shock you when I tell you they're the wrong targets. Building the church strategies is a wrong target. Charismatic communicators who passively feed information is a wrong target. Satisfied with being a Christian is a wrong target. Now, those don't sound like wrong targets. Those sound like the targets of many churches. But I'm convinced they're the wrong targets. And so I want to consider this morning with you three serious things I want you to think about because of these ineffective targets that many have been aiming at. And then I'm going to tell you what I believe we need to do as a church to ensure that our institutional purpose is true north, is, is in line with Christ's purpose for us. So the first is this. The first serious thing that, that we need to think about, and I want you to think seriously about, is this. Trying to build the church instead of making disciples has turned us into idolaters. Think about this. If the Apostle Paul took a stroll through many of today's evangelical churches, I wonder if he would say this, and I'm going to use Acts chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. That was when Paul took a stroll through, uh, uh, through the, uh, uh, the uh, Acropolis and was looking around, noticing in Athens the things around him, noticing what was in the city. Uh, but I'm going to use it as a stroll through an evangelical church. And here's what he would say, I think. I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, code for idols, I noticed you still retain an inscription to the known God who you seem to no longer know. Now I've taken some liberty with Paul's statement in Acts 17 to make the point. In trying to build Jesus' church for him, we have been building our church or finding one that most closely fits the church I want church to be. Now, br brothers and sisters and beloved of the Lord, surely, 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 Jesus didn't save us so that we could go and hunt and find and make a church in our own image. Surely that's not why Christ brought us into his kingdom. The sole quest that we might make a church that fits our own tastes. Instead of the church Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, Paul notices in his 2013 walkabout, the church of idols. Consider some of them. The idol of star pastors. When James McDonald visits MBC, it's as if it's an evangelical papal visit. Grown men grow misty-eyed as if they're junior high girls at a Justin Bieber concert. <laughs> the idol of style. Loving how we worship more than who we worship. You can, you, can take, um, you can take exception to this with me after if this is not so. 
the idol of marketing, the idol of relevance, code for like the world. The idol of this one gets me, life stage. You know what I'm saying? My life stage. Christ church is multi-generational. I'm particularly speaking to the younger at this moment who so want churches in their own image, who so want churches that are young and sexy like them, who don't want to be in churches where there might be someone with gray hair, who might know something. We have made an idol of life stage and it's ruining churches. The vision that Christ had for church was family. Mother, father, daughter, son, grandfather, grandmother. That's the vision of church. The idol of competitive franchising and branding. Loyalty to a type of church. Instead of Christ. The idol of intellectual arrogance. The idol of sensational experience. Walking out of Calvary this morning and saying, I didn't feel anything, so I'm going to go find a church that I feel something. I need to feel. I need to experience. The idol of money and business success. The idol of mission and vision. You say, what? The dream. Sometimes, you know, we can idolize the mission for God over life with God. What's our vision statement here, our mission statement here? To know Christ and make Him known. The idol of Christianity itself as the target. Now it says in the Acts chapter 17 text that Paul was greatly distressed when he noticed that the city was full of idols. I'm trying to think to myself, how would Paul feel about the modern evangelical setting in North America that's full of idols, the church full of idols? We are unable to do our jobs that Jesus gave us to make, disciple, to make disciples because we are too busy trying to build the church for religious consumers. And the cost of that kind of a building project is too expensive because the cost is idolatry. But we were never asked to build a church. Disciple-making is not about self-seeking, but about self-giving. It's about community shaping, not self-satisfaction. It seems to me that um, many leaders have lost confidence in the Holy Spirit's ability to draw people to Jesus. That's a tragic, tragic thing. It's a tragic thing when we have decided to, to jettison the power of God in favor of the power of our own savvy. And believe that our own skills, our own marketing, our own consumer ideas will actually build Jesus' church. 
The church of this age may be like the children of Israel standing and gazing at the Canaanite culture saying they're big, they're stronger, they're sexier. We seem like grasshoppers to them. Let's just choose safe over faith. Let's just be more like them. But we were never asked to build a church to compete in the secular marketplace for success. We were never to build religious businesses. We were to busy ourselves in an activity that is completely foreign to the world. It's investing our energy in going and baptizing and teaching obedience. Well, that was the long point. There's two shorter points. The second is this. Investing much of our religious energy on great professional communicators who help us learn more about God instead of teaching each other how to obey Him. This is a problem. We're producing gospel journalists who've never actually done what they boldly write about. Does that bug you about journalism? And by the way, I'm not, I'm not, if, if you're a journalist or a journalist, journalism student here and all that, you could be the exception. But as a sports fan, journalists drive me crazy. You'll see a sports reporter analyze all the problems with the Leafs, and they are many. <laughs> I haven't changed. And the one who's analyzing has never, ever played the game. It's ridiculous. I uh, made a foray into coaching minor hockey one time. Biggest mistake of my life. The kids were great. The parents are a scourge. Don't be one. I don't mean don't be a parent. Don't be a scourge parent. One time this guy comes up to me, his kid is on my team. And he says he's got a million things I should be doing differently. And I said to him, well, and, and you know, hockey practice was 5.30 on Saturday mornings. You know what I'm talking about? If anybody you know, any of you know me, I've barely gone to bed at 5.30 on a Saturday. So I'm out at the rink, and so I said to him, why don't you come out and help me coach then? And he looks me in the eyes and he says this to me, I can't skate. <laughs> You're telling me all the mistakes I'm making coaching these kids hockey and you can't even skate? Get thee behind me, Satan. We aren't impacting the culture because we aren't, all, we aren't all that confident about our own Christian culture, our own Christianity, what we really are. It seems to me the danger among us is that we have studied for years classic games in the Bible, the, the classic events of, of God's people, but nobody has ever shown us how to be an effective player ourselves. We're up on all the, the classics, 
but we've never actually ever played the game. We're going to address that at Calvary. The vision Jesus had was disciples among disciples doing life together. Showing each other how to interpret life according to Christ. How, how to obey him in this scenario and that one. How to, how to honor him and serve him. How to admonish and encourage each other. That was the vision that Christ had. Not trafficking in religious information and theories. We're not called to be gospel journalists. We're called to be a gospel-centered community on mission. There's a world of difference. We make disciples by gathering with those who, by grace, believe, outwardly demonstrated through baptism, and teach them to obey everything that Jesus commanded us. Now, there's learning in that, of course. But it never stops there, ever. And there's a third point. We have become convinced that the target of our lives is to be Christians. When, in fact, the Bible aims at being disciples in Christ. Say, is it the same thing? Well, let me ask you if you think it's the same thing. We've not been initiated into a movement. We've been brought into a relationship with a person. I would submit to you that, that Christian is the most misleading label on the planet. Don't you agree with me? Christian is... Christian is... is, is you know what Christian is like? It's like me saying I'm a golfer. I mean, there are a lot of people who say they're golfers. You know what I'm saying? And then there are some people who can really golf. Christian, there's a billion Christians. Do you believe that? I don't. I wonder if there are even millions. If your target is to be a Christian, your aim is off. I'm going to prove that to you from the Bible. The word Christian or Christians appears how many times in the Bible? Want to take a guess? 37. Nice try. Three times. Three times. And one was by King Agrippa who said, I suppose you think you're going to turn me into a Christian? So it wasn't exactly a glowing moment in our history. It's not that the term is so wrong or anything. It's just that the term isn't specific enough in our age. It's too general. Everybody and his brother are a Christian. If everybody's a Christian, nobody's a Christian. How many times do you think the term disciple appears in the New Testament? Well, I'll just tell you, 269 times. And in Christ, 
246 times for a grand total of 515 times. 515 times disciples in Christ, three times Christians. I think the point is made. The emphasis in the Word of God is about disciples. That's the dividing line. Not are you a Christian, but are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Jesus isn't returning for Christians. He's coming back for disciples. That's what he said to make. So it seems to me that's what he's coming back for. Go make disciples. Who's he coming for then? I'll be with you until the end of the age. He's coming for disciples. Christian communities are filled with moral actors, but not many authentic disciples who are cavalier with their self uh, Self-granted uh, freedoms. There is a scary collection of verses in the Bible that scare me the most of everything in the scriptures. And they are found in Matthew chapter 7. There's a collection, verses 21 to 23. And here's why they're scary. Listen to them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Now, these many people that we're talking about here, who did they think they were? What did they think they were? They thought they were in. They thought they were belonging to Christ. You know what word really grabs the fear of my heart there? What word grabs your, what word causes fear in your heart? Many. Many. I know if it said a few or a couple or the rare exception, it says many. Many will say, we've been using your name and God-sponsored sideshows. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you who practice lawlessness. I prefer that translation, the lawlessness one. ESV, maybe NASB too. Because I think it sets up the perfect issue of what's wrong. Do you remember what the commandment was? Go make disciples baptize them, and teach them to do what? To obey everything I commanded you. What's the problem here? What's the opposite? The antithesis of, of doing everything that Jesus told us to do is lawlessness. It's not doing everything that Jesus told us to do. It's, that's the dividing mark here. This is, but this is a scary text. People failing to prioritize what he said to do. In Romans 9, 6, the Apostle Paul wrote this because Israel was assuming that because they were Israel, they were in. And he writes there, they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. You're not in because you grew up in a Christian home. You're not in because you attend a Christian church. They are not all church who are grown in the church. They are not all Christians who are showing up in churches. Jesus only talks, beloved, about disciples. And that's what we're going to talk about. 
over the next weeks and going forward because we can't have moral actors. We must have authentic disciples. Incidentally, Jesus says that authentic disciples are first baptized people. Now listen, I, I'm going to throw this out again and again to you. Therefore, make disciples is the main thought in the verse. And then there are three ing words. Going, baptizing, teaching. Okay? So the, the framework of that verse is make disciples, going wherever you have to go, baptizing because that's what disciples do, and then teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. The gospel is the, announcing the reign of Christ in a person's life. The kingdom of God is near. And, and baptism recognizes that lordship of Christ. It's the initiation into the discipleship of Jesus in our lives. Does baptism save us? No. Make disciples going and baptize disciples. Okay? Baptize those that Jesus has called into his kingdom. Baptize them. That's the first act of initiation. I love what Joe Boot said in the summer about baptism. He said, baptism is your ordination into the royal priesthood of Christ. The flip side of that is, if you are not baptized, you are not ordained into the royal priesthood of Christ. If your sights are set on just slipping into Christian culture, you are aiming at a disaster. We wonder why so many so-called Christians lack passion, they lack power, they lack interest in spiritual things, their lives are, are a mess. Because it's a, discipleship is to set your sights on being in Christ. We, we're not called to just simply slip over a line and say we're part of some sort of movement called Christianity. And there we sit. We are called to be disciples in Christ. We are in Christ people. The, the, the movement of our lives is to move us toward the center of the in Christ reality. It's very simple to diagnose challenges in so-called Christians' lives. I can ask one diagnostic question. Is your life moving closer to the center of being in Christ? Or are you satisfied to have just gone over some sort of artificial or arbitrary line that you think is called Christianity? We are in Christ, people. That's what Jesus had in mind with the disciple-making mandate. I... Um, started reading David Platt's book called Radical in the summer. I'm thankful Pastor Ken gave it to me. It's, a, it's an outstanding book. I would recommend it to every single person. And he writes in his book that for some reason our thinking and strategizing got off track. 
We were thinking that all we needed was a good performance, a cool place, sexy programs, and competent professionals. And we would mobilize a movement to change the world. The problem is, we have no power. Because to this point, ministries are succeeding on self-power. Because we haven't felt desperate for God's help. Now listen, if you have been paying any attention at all to the way the culture is moving around you, and you are a parent, or a grandparent, or an uncle or an aunt, you should be feeling a sense of desperation right now. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling an urgency that I've never felt in my life. I don't know whether I went to sleep and didn't notice what was going on around me, but lately I've become aware of what's going on. And this country we live in is fast-tracking to the dark ages. And we will not be able to stand against the pressure of this culture with manpower. It will be by the power of God alone. Every good and right value is disappearing around us at light speed. Quebec's Parti Quebecois proposed secular charter. Have you seen that? Which would make external religious symbols illegal in the province of Quebec. And I can tell you right now that whatever province leads the way to a dominant secularism will drag every other province with it. That means no more necklaces with crosses. Not that that's, that's not going to stop the work of God. But you better understand the implications of banning external religious symbols. It's the first step to banning religion. The Toronto District School Board, have you been paying any attention? You think it's not going to lead into the Durham School Board? All students are allowed to use all washrooms regardless of identification of male or female. And I quote, from their own stuff. A student's self-identification is the sole measure of a student's gender. Do you hear me? The student's self-identification is the sole measure of a student's gender. Now, I can see a 15-year-old guy in the Toronto board, school board identifying himself as a girl today so he can go into the girls' washroom and nobody can stop him. I quote, to accommodate all of this, the instruction that has gone out to those hiring teachers in the Toronto District School Board is this, should make every effort to hire and ret retain transgender and gender non-conforming staff. 
Now, I thought there were no discriminatory hiring practices. Apparently, it's encouraged as long as they are immoral. In Canada, 150 churches are closing every year. Since 1980, 4,976 churches have closed. And only 1 in 20 evangelical churches are producing a full-time church leader. You know, we could spend the next several hours lamenting about the darkness of our culture or we can take this issue seriously of making disciples and go after it with a passion and make a difference in our culture, make a difference in our city, make a difference in our region. So only if the church is built by Jesus and disciples are making disciples will we have the power to push back the darkness and see cultural transformation. So here's what we're going to do. Discipleship 128 is to make sure that we are doing what Jesus asked us to do. It's shifting the church out of idol by taking Matthew 28, 19 and 20 seriously and Colossians 1.28 very seriously. If you want to know what the 128 is, that's Colossians 1.28. We are called upon to make everyone complete in Christ, moving close to the center of, the, of Christ's reality. So part of the grand ministry makeover here at Calvary is a church-wide effort to make sure that we are doing what Jesus commanded us to do. So in the mornings... I am going to teach on what is a disciple and what is the great vision of a disciple-making church. In the evenings, we're going to equip you to do what Jesus has commanded you to do, to make disciples. So let me just conclude with this. If you are a disciple, you need to be baptized. That's step one. Step two, you need to purchase a real-life discipleship training manual. They are here, available for you after the service. These are, this is a disciple-making journey, disciple-making real-life discipleship training manuals. They are $15 each. If you don't have the money today, we want you to get a journal, and we want you to get a training manual anyway and, and be responsible to pay us uh, what you owe us. These training manuals are available for us. They have exercises in them five days a week for the next 10 to 12 weeks. We'll be gathering in small groupings on Sunday nights and other weeknights if that works better for you. And you need to sign up today. So what I'm going to invite you to do is take the bulletin that was given to you this morning and take it out. Right now, grab the bulletin that was given to you and there's a tear-off section there. And I'm going to invite you to sign up for Disciple Shift 128, training in making disciples, in engaging in, in, in the urgency of what Jesus told us to do, making sure that you are doing what Jesus told you to do and that we are discipling each other together. You have the opportunity to sign up this morning. Simply write your name on the tear-off section uh, on the bulletin. Uh, jot down your email. Uh, if you want to be involved in a, in a small group with certain people, write that down. And there are tables set up in the lobby. You can take those already prepared slips of paper to those tables. 
We'll organize you into, into study groups and uh, discipleship groups and notify you by way of email where, where you are and when you are and all of that kind of stuff. But the major thrust is going to be Sunday night starting next Sunday night. You need to get this journal today because you need to start tomorrow working on uh, discipleship. And so we're encouraging you to do that. In the works are other discipleship issues that I don't want to take the time to deal with right now, but I'm just encouraging you that these are urgent days. Jesus said, I will build my church. I'll do that. But you, you go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey whatsoever things I've commanded you to do. And I will be with you right through to the end. Our Father and our God, uh, Today is the day where you have made it abundantly clear to us what you have for us, what you want for us, that you want us to, to, um, to upgrade our, our responsibility in the areas of making disciples. And so, God, I just pray this morning, as you um, bring all of this to our heart through the power of God's Spirit, I pray, Lord, that we would not uh, be slack in this, that, that we would... Um, Take up the mantle of responsibility now to become serious disciples of Jesus Christ, to stimulate one another, to admonish and challenge one another, to obey the things of Christ, to, to gather in uh, disciple groupings, to, to press the issues uh, of moving into the center heart place of the in Christ reality. Oh God, I pray, not from persuasive words of man, but because of your spirit challenging our hearts today, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, all authority is given to me under heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. These are exciting days for us here at Calvary. Discipleship 128 is an opportunity for us to seriously engage our lives in that commandment, that mandate that Jesus Christ gave to me. Are you a disciple? Then get engaged in discipleship. Are you a disciple? You haven't been baptized? Get baptized. That's the initiation into the disciple of Jesus Christ reality. Have you ever been discipled? Most of us never have been. This is our opportunity to really fully draw into the heart of Christ, prepare ourselves, equip ourselves, uh, challenge ourselves, develop ourselves in Christ for our family's sake, for our children and our grandchildren's sake, that we might mobilize our lives and our families against the darkness that is pushing and encroaching upon us, that we might have the opportunity to, to stretch forth and reach out into our, uh, our city and our region and challenge people and invite people and encourage people to join in the journey of discipling with Jesus Christ. So this is, our, this is our time, and uh, I'm encouraging you as a congregation to fully, fully engage in this. Get involved in this, uh, in this ministry. Our Father and our God, as we look to the sight lines that you have before us, the horizon, it is good and it is victorious. Oh God, you have promised. Jesus, you said you will build your church. And the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against that advancing church. But you've asked us to make 
disciples, to make sure that we are presenting everyone complete in Christ. Lord, I know that in your word you asked, will you find faith when you come back? Oh God, my heart's desire is of this body of believers that you will find passionate faith, busy, engaged in the things of God because we love you. You're our king and you've saved us and you've given us victory upon victory and ultimately victory over the grave. How could we do anything but present our lives to you, lay our lives before you? In Jesus' name, I pray, amen, amen. Thank you.